Good afternoon, I'm Matt Rubel and welcome to Retails from the Frontline. We are here at the National Retail Federation at the annual convention with two amazing entrepreneurs and they've come from all the way on the other side of the world, not just for this meeting, but because they are really looking to build businesses in the United States too. And so these are our Aussies who have come to visit with us today. We have Jane Liu, who is the founder and CEO of Shopo. I think Jane opened in a garage like, you know, Steve Jobs did and everybody else. I bet it was a fancier garage though. Opened her business there in 2010. And, you know, we always talk about Ernst & Young Entrepreneurs of the Year. Well, you're a Cosmo Entrepreneur of the Year, which means that it's a sexier and younger entrepreneur. Also, Forbes 30 Under 30 in Asia. You wouldn't know it, but Jane started out as an accountant and had you know a failure before. She's had this incredible success along the way. And we will also get into one of the things that she's done that now has 100,000 members, which is like-minded bitches drinking wine. So it sounds like a very millennial club, which I wouldn't be invited to. <laughs> and with that, joining Jane and myself is Nick Molnar, who is the co-founder and CEO of Afterpay. I think you founded this about 2015. So it is on an incredible run. And it is effectively digital layaway off of a debit card. And in Australia, it has 25% share of all fashion goods being sold are being bought on Afterpay and the way in which that is. And he's moved over to California and has launched here in the United States and is growing rather rapidly. And we've got some interesting ideas that he is bringing to kind of how do you grow your business and speak to the millennials. So today we're talking to two millennials and we're going to talk about millennials or growing businesses that really do speak to them. And so, first of all, let's make sure people understand millennials are people that are probably today between 22, 23, and 38 years old. Even though you're from Australia, a big impact here in the United States was the millennials grew up right around 9-11. They are the ones who have grown up where stores weren't the it place the digital world is. And so they've grown up in a digital environment. So Nick, why are millennials so important today? There's so many other categories of spenders out there. Why are they so important today? And and then why did you focus on them in building your business? Yeah, so it's been really interesting. I think everyone's been speaking about millennials for quite a while now, but from a disposable income and kind of shift of power perspective, now's really the time. So in the US, millennials will earn half of all disposable income by 2025. So that impact on retail now is actually quite substantial. So there's been a real shift from hypothetical discussions now to tangible execution. And that's part of the foundation as to why we built Afterpay the way we did. I mean, what we noticed was that millennials were spending money differently to any previous generation. Two out of three people aged 18 to 30 in the US actually don't own a credit card. They all use debit cards. They prefer to spend their own money. So to give them that payment flexibility and really shift the model where unlike traditional credit products that make money from the customer through an interest rate, we make money from the retailer through a small fee above payment processing cost. It really enabled the millennial to you know, resonate along with this generational first way in how they now spend their money on debit cards. So I think, yeah, there's just been 
a renewed focus on millennials because now they're making up such a substantial part of retail spend in the country. And I don't think anyone's really figured it out yet. So it's a big opportunity. So tell us a little bit about Shopo and, you know, what is it and how come it's grown so fast? Yeah, well, I mean, Shopo is an online fashion store for women. It started off really small, like you said. It wasn't actually a nice garage at all in my parents' dingy garage. There's no reception. I had to run upstairs to take customer calls and just with a few racks of clothes. And now we're, we have a DC in the US, in Australia, we have a team of over 150 and it's just, it's not afterpay growth, but it's been phenomenal growth without any external investment or funding. So it's been an exciting journey. And I think what's really driven that is growth from social media. And I think that's the exciting thing about millennials. It's that they are kind of like early adopters of everything. And they're generally the ones, they're great for testing and validating an idea with. So for us, you know, when I started the business as an ex-accountant at Ernst & Young, I, had, I was in $60,000 of debt from quitting my job, from my first business failing and from traveling. But when I actually tried to start my business, I didn't have any money. So I couldn't afford any of the traditional marketing methods. And all I knew was Facebook. Back at Ernst & Young, I just spent all my time on Facebook. And so when it came time to use it, I knew the ins and outs of it so well from a consumer perspective. And so just really use it to talk to our audience. And then, you know, I did it as a default because I had nothing else. I had no money. I couldn't do anything else. But when I realized that that had worked, we just, you know, it was like, especially at the initial stages when the big companies, the big retail powerhouses, they either didn't get it they didn't get social media or they didn't believe in it. But at the start, it was almost like a license to print money because you find a winning formula, a winning algorithm, you just double down on it until it dries up. So social media has been one of the key drivers of our growth to this stage. So you didn't have to worry about finding a store because going out, leasing a store, doing all that, tying mm. up the money, you didn't have the money to be able to do it. We actually did have three stores because we did it. I mean, they're, they're not like your beautiful flagship stores here in New York. The prettiest, but they like, they may do because we, they were just like a few racks of clothing that, but definitely I remember this moment where we decided to close the stores. And I think it's always easy to close down the business that's not profitable because it's, you know, let's move on as soon as possible. But the stores were profitable, but we actually decided to shut them down to shut down a profitable sales channel because we saw the huge potential in online that, and that it was actually a distraction and a huge opportunity cost to our online growth. So that was like a big risk for us and closing that was one of the best things that we did. So it makes a ton of sense that, you know, you can get social media to kind of get a fashion idea going. Mm. Does social media play a role in growing a financial layaway plan? Yeah, well, we didn't think it was going to. But it's been crazy. I mean, there's a group on Facebook called We Love Afterpay. They've got a couple hundred thousand members now. So It's like a cult. People like protest to retailers. <laughs> like I'm excited to talk about it. But people, people protest to retailers for them to get afterpay. That's how much they love it. Yeah, we, we had in Australia, it became this like consumer movement where we would get phone calls from Sephora. And they're like, hey, our customer service can't deal with the amount of people that are asking for Afterpay. Can you turn it off? And we're like, there's nothing to turn off. These are genuine customers who are coming to you and asking for the service. And so, I mean, we were lucky because we'd surrounded ourselves with amazing millennial entrepreneurs. I mean, Jane was one of our first retailers that came live. And I know she kind of downplays social, but there's this human element to it that they kind of taught us to bring out. So I was like what's the point of social for a 
payments product. Actually, yeah, I can't imagine it's American core. Express or or Mastercard well, just talking about. Oh, let's have a you know social well, media campaign. Well, no one says I love how I paid for that item, but they say that right. they love Afterpay, and it's resulted now in us becoming the second largest traffic driver behind Google in Australia. And we're seeing the same kind of referral volume start to grow here in the US. I mean, we sent more than a million leads just in November alone here. So it's starting to grow because this millennial cohort's like, the whole thing is people think there's a catch. So the credit industry is built off profiting from misbehavior, not good behavior. And then when they use the product and they go, oh my God, this is actually not out to get me. This is out to enable me to use my own money and use my debit card. They scream from the rooftops about it. They tell their friends. They ask more retailers. They get behind it. So the name of the company kind of says what it is, but, you know, after pay. <laughs> so maybe explain exactly how the process yeah. for the customer works. Because when I first learned about it, I was like, what was the catch? Yep. And then <laughs> immediately understood that there was no catch and the consumer is a 100% winner. So why don't you kind of walk them through it? Because it's, it's a pretty brilliant but simple idea. Yeah, it's uniquely simple. I mean, at its simplest form, if you're buying a product for $100, the customer pays four payments of $25 every two weeks. So they pay nothing extra. We pay the retailer the next day and we assume all of the risk. So it's our responsibility to recover money from the customer every two weeks on the due dates in the future. We integrate with the retailer's website to offer the service. And in the early days in the US market, I mean, we've been live here for just six months, we've already got over a thousand retailers live and they include some of the best millennial brands in in the country. I mean, you've got Kylie Jenner's Beauty Business, Urban Outfitters, Steve Madden. I mean, these are amazing brands that actually understood this debit card trend before we met them. So they were across this shift in buying behavior and it was a really cool discussion to come together with a retailer that understood it straight away. What's the actual behavior of a customer? Do they buy more often? Do they spend more? We see conversion rates grow substantially and average order values rise. So the whole, the whole thing is how you can bring more money into retail. How can you get that customer? It's like my wife is buying a dress, but she'd love to buy the shoes to go with the dress. And for her, it's how she can justify buying those shoes, but still get the benefit of spreading it out and budget along to when she gets paid or when she just can better spread out the use of her funds. So, you know, from our own retail's perspective, they generally see 15 to 20% of total online sales here in the US go through the platform. In Australia, it's more like 30 to 50. So it'll grow over time and they're able to, you know, extract and build a better relationship with that consumer through the service. Jane, I was looking at your website and one of the things that's interesting on your website and how you articulate is you actually have two models in many cases that are shown in the same outfit. Why did you do that? And why not like just have it be one model at a time? As a traditional retailer, you're kind of limited to what your wholesalers and suppliers have. So we were selling size zero to eight. And then, you know, we saw that the market is so much more than that. And so we saw that that was a huge problem that we could do something about and we could address. And it took us a long time to, you know, work with, find the suppliers, work with the suppliers. And now that we started designing these products, we realized, speaking to these girls from our market research, that they want to see someone that they, they can relate to on the website. And so, you know, it kind of became a no-brainer that we would display both shapes of girls on the website so that, you know, because we're catering to such a wide range of sizes. 
Well, one of the themes that the two of you have together is really an authentic respect and trust for the consumer, which is not always something that businesses think about. Yours is a respect and trust on payments and the way in which you do that because you're letting everybody in who has a debit card. You know, yours is a respect and trust of how you look and how you feel. It's for everybody. Is that something that's more unique for this group in their 20s and 30s that they're open to that? Are other mainstream retailers realizing that that's actually the way to talk and communicate with this emerging powerhouse consumer base or not? I think probably other generations are used to being put in a certain bucket or a label, whereas like consumers of today, they want more. Like they're communicating openly on social media with the improved technology and personalization. Like, you know, the way, the best way for a company to be on the forefront is to be able to offer that, to communicate more on an individual level to their consumers. And I think it's the fact that we are millennials ourselves, like you said, that we kind of, we were not too long ago kind of thinking in the perspective of the consumer and all the people that we generally work with are also like that. So we kind of, we know what the customers want. Yeah, I mean, I think Jane's very human in how she communicates to her consumers. I mean, her own personal Instagram account has well over 100,000 followers herself, so she lives and breathes it. But I think your point around trust is, my view is it's the new currency, absolutely. Like speaking to my team a couple of weeks ago and I was explaining that I had this revelation that when I first used Uber, it was like I was going against everything that I was told as a child that I shouldn't do. You know, it's like don't get in a car with a stranger let alone eat their lollies, right? <laughs> and when you do it for the first time and you're like, oh, that was quite magical. I felt a bit naughty doing it because I was told not to do it, but I can't picture myself doing it any other way. And that's where that advocacy then comes through. So then you want to tell your friends about it. You want more people to experience this same. When a life paradigm is flipped and you see something different, but it feels right, that's where I think this trust element comes through. And it's subtle, but we live and breathe. We're really specific in how we speak. We're really specific in the brand identities that we build and it's purposeful. And I think that's where you know other bigger businesses might have more of a challenge because when you're coming from a legacy background, you need to make bold moves and, you, and it feels unhuman to be human on social. When you, you look at all the things on social media, you, know, you hear about, oh, so-and-so has you know, 3 million, 5 million, 10 million followers. How can that be authentic? And then there are these new micro bloggers, people out there who speak to smaller audiences. Which one is the right way to go? Or are they both the right way? Which one's going to work more effectively at getting the message out authentically? Well, I mean, who knows if there is one like a right answer, but I think the trend definitely, like you said, is shifting towards more authenticity with influencers and with brands. You can see the shift over the last few years, people demanding, like people want to know when a post is sponsored, when it's an ad. And now you, you see influencers posting without makeup, posting a like a long heartfelt story about the difficulties that they've had. And that's what people are resonating with a lot more compared to like a picture perfect photo of them holding their favorite tea bag brand. And so you'll see companies working with a mix between these giant mega influencers, but as well as micro influencers, because they have just so much more trust 
with their followers because people don't assume that people don't think that they are just working with brands but like a new thing that I've seen and read about is nano influencers so even like smaller what's God. a what's a nano I think influencer? I think these days so micro back in the days like a few years ago was 10,000 followers now it's a hundred and nano is like a thousand followers but you see like lululemon and others with their community strategies and that makes sense to go the smaller, more curated follower who is in that community who wants to deliver a particular message. But you see different results for the big influencers to the smaller ones. But, you know, who would have thought that influencers like Kylie and others could build inc- the most incredible businesses with different, it's like a different retail model. It's like ticket sales for Ed Sheeran meets beauty. It's, it's like fast drops exclusives it's an amazing model but they've just like they came up they came up with that they've moved through and you know built a new retail environment so are the new consumers are are they more conservative are they more experimental we all like convenience we all like good value in some cases there's all about brands that are totally transparent and only use super organic things made high in the mountains by monks who have blessed the fabrics (laughs) and done all sorts of other. Will they buy those things first or are consumers still pretty much the same just with different tools? I think it depends what they're buying. I think the convenience factor comes in the more commodity-like products, but that's not the ones that people are raving about and talking about. It's the ones that have those sustainability angles that have built an authentic relationship with them that stand for something. They're the ones that you know, might not be generating the biggest sales volume, but they're the ones that everyone talks about. That's, what, that's what's on everyone's radar. Yeah, there's a difference between what you're what everyone's buying and the ones that like Nick said they're an advocate for the, the net promoters the difference is also like these days it's just I think people are probably more trusting because of how much information there is out there you can go on their social media to see you can see influences that you know you follow you can follow the hashtag and see all these real life people using the product you can go on product review sites and read genuine reviews and then you know that if you really had a problem you can jump on the review sites on social media and have a rant about it yourself so I think people can feel a lot more they're more trusting in like taking that first leap to making a product purchase outside of business you guys have done some really fascinating and interesting things Jane you're the founder of like-minded bitches drinking wine what is that and how do I get a ticket? <laughs> so, well, I mean, in a nutshell, it's a business group for women who are like-minded and also like drinking wine. The name is says it all. But basically, we started myself and then another female entrepreneur. We were like, oh, let's just get together a group of women and we can just like have a bitch in the moan about work and also celebrate wins with people who are like, who've been through some of the similar experiences. Started off with a dinner of 20 girls and we were like, oh, this is great. Let's open it up to more people in the public. Just like, just open it up. Anyone who wants to join can join us. And then we decided to call it like-minded bitches drinking wine because we're like, that's what it is. And we didn't really think it was going to go anywhere. But then three years later, now we have a hundred thousand members in all over the world and so it just really shows people will be an advocate for it and people will introduce their friends to it because the product is not product or service is genuinely that good 
She's going to create like-minded blokes drinking beer soon as well. That's She'll right. get you in for that. It's oh, good. So um, I get the beer and you get the wine. But that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. We'll kind of bring it home with a couple of things. One is, Nick, you've brought your business here over to the United States, the largest consumer marketplace in the world. How's it going? That's been fantastic. I mean, it's exceeded all of our expectations. Already have well over a 1,000 retailers live. Over half a million customers have used the service within six months of going live. But it's really come back to the support of some of these incredible brands that we've been privileged to partner with. And to be in you know, the home of fashion and to meet the most incredible creators and build our brand with them, it's been phenomenal. So, you know, yeah, built an amazing team here and partnered with some of the best brands in the world, but we're just at the start. You know, the snowball's starting to roll and we're picking up momentum. But what's most important is we're seeing the same customer trends that we've seen in Australia where we found it. And as you said before, we process over a quarter of online fashion there and we're seeing some fantastic results here flow through. So our retailers are becoming our advocates, which is exactly what we want. So buy now, pay a little bit later and doesn't cost you a nickel more. Kind of helps people manage their budget and do some amazing things. I Googled both of you, so I got to learn a little bit about both of you. But what didn't I find on Google that would be interesting for our listeners to know? Nick? Well, Jane is how many subways long? (laughs) (laughs) So I actually Googled both of us at one point, not to be creepy. Sorry, Nick. And then Nick had pretty funny pre-populated Google-like questions. Suggestions. Suggestions, yes. And then they were like, Nick Molnar, wife. I don't remember, but they were like, we don't need to get into the yeah. detail. <laughs> anyway, and then mine, one of mine was like Jane Lou Height, Jane Lou's Height, which is a Twitter post I made about that I'm about five and a half subway footlongs tall. So I don't know. That is on Google though, so I guess it's kind of the opposite of your question. Right. Well, we didn't answer the question. No, measured, we didn't. You're Sorry. measured by a food product. So what, I had a baby so, three weeks ago. You That's did. Yep. Awesome. Yep. And congratulations. Thank you. First girl. That's wonderful, Jane. I'm afraid to ask other than the how tall you are because that was on that was on uh, yeah. Google, so we have to go beyond that. What's oh, what's not on I feel like everything is now. I guess like what's probably interesting is that I actually don't have a passion for fashion. I mean I love clothes, but when you when I look at the other girls in the office, like I can't put myself at that league because they love fashion. So I think what's great is like, you know, I've come in with a just a consumer perspective to try and just and I love marketing. And now I feel like I'm absorbed into this fashion world and it's so exciting. I'm living like so many other girls' dreams. And speaking with some of the founders who rent the runway, I would say they have a passion for business and fashion mm. wasn't their gig either. It's a, so it's, it's an interesting, interesting thing. So 2019, we're in it. You guys are in the thick of it. What do you want to make happen in 2019 that you think can really make a difference? Nick? Yeah, I mean, for us, it, it's it's pretty simple. It's just continuing to partner with the best retail brands across the world and feel really privileged to, to do so. So, for, you know, our momentum's building and we'll continue to expand those those retail partnerships and retails that offer Afterpay here in the US and more broadly across the world. Jane? Yeah, so I think in the last few years, we've been really just laying down the foundation, building out the team. And I think, you know, now that it's kind of all coming together we're going to be doing a lot in um, improving our technology and just putting out really cool products and designs designed by our in-house team and I think just expanding more internationally so I get to travel more which is very exciting. (laughs) That's very good so we're speaking with 
two amazing young entrepreneurs from the other side of the world, Nick Molnar, who's the co-founder and CEO of Afterpay, and Jane Liu, the founder and CEO of Shopo. So this is Retails from the Frontline. We're here at the National Retail Federation and talking about what's happening and what's going on in retail. I'm Matt Rubel, and thank you very much for joining us.